It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What is affirmative action? What role did it play in the college admissions process? And why was it brought to the Supreme Court? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. court has been a hot topic this summer following the ruling of a few highly anticipated landmark decisions. On Thursday, June 29th, the Supreme Court struck down the use of affirmative action in the college admissions process, meaning that colleges and universities could no longer use race as a factor when considering students' applications. The decision came when the court's majority ruled in favor of a group called Students for Fair Admissions, who filed two separate cases against Harvard and the University of North Carolina, arguing the school's admissions process Processes were discriminatory, a claim that will inevitably alter the college admissions process as we know it. And with the start of the academic year just weeks away, many are left wondering how this will impact students and universities. So why did the Supreme Court rule against affirmative action? How did the justices vote and how will the decision impact the admissions process going forward? There are a lot of questions to ask and lucky for us here to answer all of those questions is none other than the host of Fox News Sunday, as well as the Live in the Bream podcast, Shannon Bream. I am so excited because one of my favorite people to have on this podcast is Shannon Bream and she joins me now. And Shannon, I feel like I'm living the Bream every time I get to talk to you. Oh my gosh, the honor is all mine. We have had some very interesting convos. So I always have fun chatting with you. You are the one who always makes it interesting. So I, <laughs> you're the one who's out chasing aliens through national parks. And stuff. Yeah, but that's I'm just kooky. Along for the ride. <laughs> well, I'm, you can ride in my UFO anytime. Sweet. <laughs> um, all right. So affirmative action. I mean, what we currently think of as affirmative action was put in place in 1961. And this has been obviously a huge topic of conversation. I thought you would be the perfect person to break it down. So if we talk about that original policy, Shannon, that was enacted three years before the Civil Rights Act. So can you just give us an overview of what affirmative action is, how it's evolved and what its role has been in college admissions up until this point? Yeah, so this case is totally in the context of higher ed, and there have been so many cases in the years I've been covering the court and before that about exactly what colleges and universities can do as they work with the goal of trying to have a diverse student body that reflects America, that reflects what they want to see in society. Um, And the arguments in this latest case, they talked a lot about if we want our corporations, our military, all these different places to reflect what America is, then we want our universities to reflect that too, because they're sort of this feeder into the rest of adult life. Um, now, in this case, you know, there were Asian American students who said that they were getting crowded out. We can talk about that in more detail. But what led us here is essentially colleges trying to find a way. Was it, you know, it used to be that you could have a box that you checked on what your race is, if you want to divulge it, if you don't. Um, and over the years, the court had really whittled away, saying at one point, If you're using quotas to let people in on the basis of their skin color, that can be racist to groups that are disadvantaged because of those policies. So over the years, colleges have used it. It's been chipped away at so that, okay, it can be part of a formula. It can't be a check the box thing until this latest decision we got from the court, which is essentially, 
you cannot ask people what their race is in order to choose whether they get a slot or not. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, let's you brought up the Asian American aspect. Will you delve into that a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had Harvard University, a private school, UNC, a public school. They both take public money, so they were both subject to these opinions. Now, just so folks know, our newest justice, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, did not take part in the Harvard case because she was on the board of overseers there, so had a a more personal interest. Um, But the cases were essentially combined, and the idea is, if you're taking government money, can you have a policy that some people would argue hurts or benefits specific races just on that basis alone. So these Asian American students had come together with this group, Students for Fair Admission, and said, listen, we've got nearly perfect SAT scores, GPAs north of 4.0, we've got sports, we've got all these different things, and yet we feel like we're not being allowed in because schools want to limit the number of Asian students who get in to the benefit of other groups, say African-American applicants or Latino applicants or other um, you know, racial minorities when you look at makeup of the population of the US. And they said, it's actually working against us. Um, you know, at one point, Justice Gorsuch asked, I remember during the arguments, he said, you know, what do you tell Asian American applicants who have these coaches? You know, you try to get into an Ivy League school. There are these coaches out there that put together applications, your essays, they help you. And Justice Gorsuch said, some of these coaches are telling Asian American applicants You need to find a way to hide your ethnic or racial Mm -hmm. identity um, because it's actually going to hurt you in the application process. He said, you know, what do you say to these students? So there was definitely a lot of very heated back and forth during these arguments about what the purposes of affirmative action are. Do they then wind up? you know, hurting groups like these Asian American students who became the plaintiffs. Right. Well, I want to pick on some uh, pick up on something you said about. So those cases were combined. Were there any differences between what was going on at Harvard and UNC or were they similar enough where you could combine these cases? Well, yeah, I mean, the court saw them as similar enough that that race was factoring in somewhere. And both the schools had said, listen, we are trying to as narrowly, narrowly tailor this so we can end up with a more diverse student body. And um, we can't figure out another way to do it short of what we're doing. So the fact that the both schools were allowing race to be a factor at some point in the process, there was enough mm-hmm. of a common thread that they wanted to hear these cases together. I mean, they issued an opinion that applied to both schools. So the cases were kind of combined at their essence. Um, And at the end of the day, they were both using um, race as part of determining whether someone got a slot or not. And, you know, writing for the majority, the chief justice said, essentially, that's not constitutional. That's not the way we do things, that you should be assessing students on challenges they've overcome, who they are, their academic records, their experiences. But if you boil it down to simply you get in or don't get in on the basis of your skin color, that's not something the Constitution permits. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you look back in time, some states had already banned the use of race in college admissions prior to the Supreme Court ruling. So how did that shake things up? Which colleges and universities uh, will continue to be impacted by that? And which one already kind of had, which ones rather, kind of had this in place already? Yeah, I mean, there was a big 
focus on California and what they had done mm. with respect to getting rid of certain quotas or making sure there weren't quotas. Um, a number of folks will say that when they did that, Asian American applicants soared. I mean, those who got in, the acceptances soared. Because for whatever reason, in the pool of you know applicants there in California, Asian American students had very high test scores. As an overall group, they're not monolithic, like no race is. Um, but they had done so well academically that they gained spots when some of those affirmative action policies went away. If you're just looking at neutral things like test scores, like GPAs that don't assign you know a personality to them or anything else it's just data mm. now some schools are talking about getting rid of standardized tests because they feel like in some ways um, that certain groups don't test as well and it's actually biased um, the testing that's supposed to be neutral i remember you know sweating it and sleepless nights over those sats <laughs> like everybody did um, but they say actually that kind of testing disadvantages certain students so now you have schools talking about we're just going to take the test scores out and, you know, these Asian American plaintiffs had argued that would actually be designed to hurt us because as a group, we tend to test well. So the schools are all saying um, we're going to, you know, Harvard and UNC came out immediately and we're like, we're going to comply with what the law says. But we're also going to do everything in our power to make sure that our student body is diverse. And so there are questions about are they going to try to go around? I mean, the chief justice writing for the majority again said, you can have essays. People could share their personal stories where they've suffered racial injustice or disadvantages because of their ethnicity or immigration status or whatever it is. People are free to write about all those things and schools are free to con you know, consider them. But he warned, you can't do this in, as an end around. Like You can't go through essays looking for clues about racial backgrounds and then make decisions based on that. Yeah. You know, I listen to you talk, Shannon, and one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I love having you on this podcast is because you were the best person in this business at breaking things down when it comes to SCOTUS. You just said the chief justice riding for the majority. For people who don't know exactly what that means, can you shed some mm -hmm. light on the arguments made by the justices who dissented? What was the heated split mm -hmm. like in the high court? Absolutely. So this was one of the very last decisions because, you know, all the biggies come at the end of June. That's the end of their term. They start hearing cases in October. They wrap up in June. They're all ready to get away from each other for the summer. And they have teaching assignments and travel assignments around the world many times. Um, and so these real big ones come at the end. So this decision was six to three. So the six justices who voted to get rid of race as part of the admissions process or what you would expect. Now, don't let me forget one here, but the chief justice, you've got Justices Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and Justice Kavanaugh. So the six Republican appointees, they were in the majority. The chief justice wrote that opinion. The dissenters included Justices Kagan, Sotomayor, and Jackson. And one of the uh, dissents that, well, they all got attention, but one of the biggest back and forth headline grabbers that we saw was Justice Jackson and Justice Thomas, the two black justices currently on the court, clearly see this in different ways. Justice Jackson said, you know, you can't just ignore this idea of racism or racial disadvantage. Just because you write this opinion doesn't make it go away. There are very real challenges for people out there. And she said it was sort of a let them eat cake obliviousness of the majority that like they're just putting their heads in the sand. They think, you know, everything can move forward and we don't need this anymore. You know, and, and Justice Thomas actually wrote a concurrence, meaning he agreed with the majority opinion, but he wanted to, to spell out his own reasons why. And he wrote back to her and said, you know, Justice Jackson's dissent 
um, makes it as if uh, black Americans are victims. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be. Yes. He says, I am well aware and have been on the receiving end of racism. I understand that it exists. But he says, I'm also hopeful in this country that we have moved forward and we will continue to move forward. So they clearly saw this in very different ways. But those are sort of the key players in that in that particular opinion. Right. And those two opinions, would you say that that represents the people, uh, the majority of people who both agree and disagree with the decision that was made? Do you think that encapsulated how people are feeling? Probably. I mean, and Justice Sotomayor and her dissent was very full-throated as well um, and, and very frustrated with the majority. But what we see is there was a lot of polling out there leading into this case about whether people think that race should be used. And the polls were a little different because the questions were a little bit different. And I think that we always know in the polling, the specific wording of the question is very important. But there were a number of polls showing um, from mainstream groups out there that a majority of Americans did not want race to continue being used in college admissions. They felt like it wasn't fair to everybody involved. So the American public had definitely weighed in on this and thought that in, in a number of polls that it was time to move past this. Um, and so now the conversation moves to other things about you know, whether legacy admissions, meaning your dad, your grandma, your aunt, your mom, whoever went to that school, that gives you a bonus chance at getting in. Um, again, there are a number of civil rights groups that says that say that hurts established white families, wealthy families. Um, and so that's the new legal challenge that we, there was one that's been filed already in a complaint with the Department of Education. Can these big schools like the Ivy Leagues, like Harvard, can they continue to admit people in considering whether you were a legacy or whether you are a big donor attached to you as well? So I think that's going to be the next legal fight in these admissions. That's actually a really great point because every time a decision is made, people will take that and they'll apply it to something else. And then we just kind of keep seeing things change. Do you think that this latest ruling, in addition to the legacy admissions, what you're referring to, do you think that there are any other implications beyond college admissions? I mean, if in jobs, uh, you know, employers, do you think that can be impacted as well? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big questions, because this was definitely narrowly tailored to higher ed. But people will take the reasoning of the Supreme Court and use it and try to use it in other avenues and, and arenas. And I think that's highly possible that people will say, all right, if the chief justice wrote this majority opinion, the 6-3 opinion, and says you can't make decisions about people based on the color of their skin, can that also be true in hiring practices? Can that be in true um, in in other places where you know there are government funds involved? What about the private sector? So I think people will look for avenues to try to use that argument. It won't be a direct match, but I think that um, people who want to challenge some of those practices will try to make arguments and pull sections of this opinion and see, like, can I apply that elsewhere? All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Shannon, I have to ask you, this isn't the first affirmative action case ever. So how has SCOTUS ruled in other cases in the past and how was this one different? Well, like I said, there's been sort of this chipping away at the idea of using race in college admissions. And, you know, 20 plus years ago, then Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote about one of their earlier decisions and said, you know, maybe 25 years from now, we'll be done with this and we won't need these admissions practices anymore. So the court has always been looking ahead to where these would lead. And 
the ability to use race as a factor in higher ed admissions has been slowly whittled away to it could be a factor. Okay, it could be one of many factors. Um, okay, it can't be part of the first cut, but it could be part of the holistic process. Like, you know, you've gone through test scores and GPAs, you made the cut there, then you can consider race and making the rest of the decision. So the court has certainly whittled away at where it could be used. I got to say, I was not surprised, but it, it seemed to kind of happen abruptly, this case this year that made that final cut saying, okay, no more. You know, with the court assessing, the majority assessing that it's no longer valid whether they're assessing, hey, enough progress has been made or this never should have been done this way. Um, like I said, Justice O'Connor looking years, decades ago forward saying there will come a time when we got to phase this out. And the court finally arrived there. Right. How are colleges and universities responding? Man, um, we are seeing, all, you know, all kinds of responses where the schools want to immediately say, you know, we're going to find ways to make sure that we stay diverse. Um, that opening again with the chief justice saying people are free to write these essays and schools are free to, to look at them. I think those essays are going to become incredibly important as if they weren't already. But I think in many places they're going to overtake the test scores because if, if schools say, OK, the test scoring may have inherent bias in it, we're going to get rid of that. They're going to be so heavily dependent on people's personal essays and experiences that I think that they will find ways um, mm -hmm. to make sure that in looking at those essays, they're going to hear people's personal experiences. I think people will absolutely use those essays to make a full-throated case for what they've been through, how their background has helped or hurt them. And I think the schools are signaling, hey, give us those really meaty, strong personal essays so we can see who you are, what your background is, and we'll legally be able to use those to make sure we've got a diverse student body. So people will argue, okay, great then make sure that you do that with respect to economic class, um, with respect to political viewpoints. Does that mean if you're going to be really diverse, like, okay, somebody who writes an essay about this is why I'm a conservative American and believe in these principles, are they going to also get a chance to get in because there's something different than the rest of the student body you might admit? So a lot of questions, but those essays, I think, are going to be incredibly, incredibly important. That is a really fascinating thing to think about, because when you're applying to a college, obviously they want diversity. Um, that, that also applies to diversity of thought. So when you're writing those college essays, that's really what you're concentrated on. You want to set yourself apart because there are... A, a million other people who get straight A's, who have extracurriculars. I mean, that mm -hmm. essay truly is really important. It also brings me to another question. Anytime we see one of these decisions be made, you always have a group of people who are looking for that loophole. Do you think there are any loopholes in this ruling that schools might take advantage of? I think that essay is going to be what everybody is jamming on. But again, you know, the chief justice writing for the majority said this cannot be an end run around what we're saying is that you can't pick and choose on basis on the basis of the color of skin. So now the question becomes, OK, how do you track this? How are the schools held accountable? Um, I think it's going to be really difficult. Say you are an Asian-American student. You've got a four point seven. You get, you know, nearly perfect SAT and don't get in. How do you prove your case that it was your race that kept you out? Um you know, if you have a name on your application, that may give people clues to who you are and what your background is. Um, how do you then challenge a school? Um, do you demand that you get the records? I mean, that was one of the things in the case involving Harvard, especially that they were really fighting in the lower courts. The plaintiffs said, we want to see the internal records of who got admitted, how, what their test scores were. And Harvard, it's a private university. It did not want to cough that stuff up. So 
Now the question becomes, if you think that a school is making an end run around the Supreme Court decision, how do you challenge that? There will be lawsuits and there's going to be a fight to try to get hands on some of that data. So, you know, it's like with everything that gets decided, like last year when they overturned Roe v. Wade, it's some ways it's just the beginning of the next level of the fight about that particular issue. And I think that's true of affirmative action with colleges. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the next level of fight, it always gets political, obviously. So do you think this latest ruling could have an impact on the 2024 election? And how do you think that'll play out? I do. And I think when you combine it with a decision by the court, um, you know, within a day of this, also throwing out the president's student loan forgiveness plan, where he just wanted to wipe out $430 billion in loans. I've already seen the president's done it and other Democrats are doing it, too. They'll use it um, for sure in the 24 campaign, because what he says is Republicans can't stand the thought of helping the middle class or people who are disadvantaged. I'm trying to fight for you to get relief for student loans. I'm trying to fight to make sure you have a chance to get into college. Republicans don't want to help you. In fact, they actively are working against you and they don't want you to get an education or have a chance that other people do if they're wealthy and white. So I think that that combination, um, the student loan forgiveness issue and the affirmative action, um, both in that higher ed space, have already been and will continue to be used in 24. You know, Shannon, I, this is this is more on a personal note. I've heard so many. I, I just I listen to you talk and you're you're so well informed. You're so good at getting that information out to people who don't really understand this completely. And just to kind of finish this episode, I wanted to get a story from you just from your time covering the Supreme Court. And do you have any memory of maybe way back when when, you know, technology wasn't what it is or, or the rules were different? Do you have anything interesting to share with the viewers? Yeah, I mean, we love when the opinions come out. It's terrifying, but also there's a ton of adrenaline. It's kind of a fun thing. But Mm -hmm. when I first started covering the court, gosh, I had so much to learn. Thank goodness I did have my legal background as an attorney because it is a monster to try to unpack. It's very hard to get any type of inside information over there. Um, And just trying to figure these opinions out. It used to be they didn't release them online. And so you literally had to be standing in the hallway where they would physically give you a copy. And then I would run as fast as I could out to our camera across the marble plaza, down the steps to the camera. You're trying to figure out what this thing even says. Um, You're out of breath. You get to the camera. You don't want to get this wrong. So there were a couple of times I really thought I am going to trip. (laughs) <laughs> and my face open on this marble. Now you're but athletic. I, the, I mean, right. Yes. That if you're going to stretch that to the, you know, <laughs> loosest possible meaning, um, I can run with tennis shoes on. Yes. <laughs> but I remember the first year I was covering the court, I believe it was the first term and there was a big gun case that was coming out and I grabbed it and I started running out. And the first thing that I could see was the author. And I saw that it was justice Scalia, who was a very big proponent of second amendment rights. And I felt like, okay, I know where this case is going. I think I know where this decision is going to be. I didn't even really look at the rest of the vote, but that gave me a clue as I'm huffing and puffing and running to the camera. Um, And I thought, hmm, this is pretty exhilarating. I'm really doing this thing. And thank goodness that the author kind of gave away where the decision was going. So I had a head start by the time I got to that camera, figuring out what, what it was. But, you know, now we do get them online almost contemporaneously with them handing them out. 
I still think the hard copy is a much easier way to read the case, but you can also, when you get them online now, do a word search if you're looking for specific things and go through that opinion really quickly. But all kinds of tricks of the trade, but um, those old days of getting the hard copies and running them out appear to be over. That, I, I kind of want to, not for your sake, but I kind of want to go back to that. That's so interesting. <laughs> do, so do you have to read the opinion live while you're doing a show? Yes. Yeah, that's the way that we do it. And so um, I always pray, you know, I'm a person of faith and mm-hmm. I always pray like, Lord, give me clarity. Some of these are really confusing, especially if you look down at the opinion, it says these five voted this way. There's three concurrences this way. There are four dissents. This person joins part one A, this person joins part three C. I mean, those are your worst nightmares. So I always pray like, Lord, give me clarity because, you know, I feel a big obligation to our viewers to get this right. And, um, you know, it's it like I said, it's thrilling. And and when I'm reading off the top and doing it live on the air, I will say with the caveat at first blush, this is what it looks like. Here's the vote. This is what we know. And then um, just give time to, you know, take a breath and and kind of do some of the tricks of the trade and flip through and, and find your clues. And, um, you know, if you can take a minute to gather yourself um, in it, 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 with the exception of those really crazy multiple split cases, you can get it. Well, Shannon, your dedication to that responsibility of getting the right information out to the viewers is one of the many reasons why they love you. We love you here on this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Can't wait for next time. Thank you, Abby. My privilege. And I look forward to that ride in your UFO. (laughs) Awesome. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. Number one, Justice O'Connor was one of the first justices to bring up this topic, saying one day affirmative action will have to be addressed. And that day has come. Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion. Justices Sotomayor and Jackson wrote dissents, so the overall vote was six to three. Number two, a conversation regarding this opinion has been that while some groups may tend to test higher in some areas, the focus is on the overall student when it comes to extracurricular activities, involvement, and their college admissions essays that set them apart. And number three, now with the striking down of affirmative action, the question about legacy admissions has come into play as well. Shannon brought up that something Justice Jackson said was basically that there could be a chain reaction in other areas as well. As this decision plays out, we can keep an eye out for how it'll affect things outside of higher education, for example, in the workplace. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.